Find Your Focus is a recharging space for the ambitious, introverted woman. Grab a quick energy boost and reflect on how you want to show up as an introverted leader in your personal and professional life. Here's some inspiring stories of people around the world who've done things differently from society's extroverted expectations. Your host, Heather, a woman's leadership and life transitions coach, founder of a restored radiance coaching for the ambitious introvert, international communicator and marketer, world traveler, UK expat, and fellow introvert. Heather aims to help ambitious, introverted women find their unique leadership voice and create life transition roadmaps from career changes to moving countries or cities. Join Heather every Tuesday to find your focus, to fill your mindset with positivity and motivation to go after your dreams using your own unique energy blueprint. Your perceived weaknesses are your powerhouse. Here is your host. Hello, ambitious introverts. It's Heather here. Today's podcast is all about perfectionism and overachieving. And I think if you're defining yourself as an ambitious introvert like me, you'll probably have been tackling um, perfectionism, procrastination, even overachieving at some point in your life. Um, For me, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. And with any sort of uh, learning and unlearning, um, when it comes to personal and professional development, I always feel that you peel a layer of the onion, and then you implement what you learned, you, it becomes second nature, becomes habit, and then you find another area in your life that that old habit has kind of sunk its little teeth in. And it's often because you just haven't applied the, the learning in that area, or it's a completely new area. And it's kind of scary because it's brand new and you don't know what to expect. How perfectionism was impacting me last year, I was probably a little bit hesitant. No, actually, not probably. I was um, hesitant to um, share my story um, on social as a business owner. It's kind of what you have to do to, you know, it's how you you take lessons learned and you expand and you connect with people. And while I was making road doing that on the podcast, I found I was hesitant to be a guest on other podcasts or um, be interviewed. And I was worried that, you know, I, I didn't have enough information if I could, you know, a graduate of two, with two degrees and um, I can always learn more and learn more. And I was kind of always hesitating to take opportunities because I thought I needed to learn more. I needed more information to be considered. I realized that that was what was holding me back. I, so I, I started to switch that conversation in my head. And whenever I felt hesitation, whenever I felt procrastination, um, because procrastination and perfectionism are like they're evil twins together, you're either, you know, moving forward on achieving or you're stuck worried that you won't achieve perfectly, uh, hence the procrastination. So here I was procrastinating for most of the year last year, and that's when my intuition said to myself, what is your perfectionism holding back you back from? And I realized it was my body image in terms of, and it was um, telling my story. So I hope 
this episode um, gives you a few tips uh, to expand um, your knowledge of how perfectionism, procrastination, or overachieving might be impacting your own life, and perhaps maybe just peeling back one layer. And as an overachiever, remember you do not have to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. This is part of the learning and unlearning. And the goal is to just be a C student. So with that, I'll let you enjoy the rest of the episode. Hi, ambitious introverts. It's Heather here. I am so excited to have um, the guest for today's podcast. She is Lex Ellens, currently serving in the Canadian military, and she's also an empowerment coach and speaker. So she is going to be here talking all about recovering from perfectionism and overachieving. Lex, it's so great to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here, Heather. Uh, Well, I just can't wait to dive into the conversation that we have. Um, as a recovering perfectionist myself, I am totally relate to your um, your story. So let's just dive in, and I'd love to hear a bit more about you and and what um, got you to where you are today. Oh, honestly, sometimes I don't even know where to start with that one. I went through a lot when I was growing up. Um, I was always very introverted, really shy as a kid. Uh, I was the type of person you could probably find reading a book during recess rather than out on the playground playing with other kids. But but unfortunately, that isn't very common behavior when you're in grade six to eight and you're supposed to be socializing with other kids. So it did get me bullied a fair bit. Um, and that bullying followed me all the way through uh, my preteens and into high school. So that kind of followed me around. That was my, my introduction to, to life. And through that, my way that I found of coping with it was actually through uh, addiction. Uh, I discovered drugs and alcohol when I was 12 years old. Um, and I ended up spiraling into addictive behaviors for the first, well, not first 18 years, but ages 12 to 31. So it was, it was a good chunk of my life. And I found that I had to, uh, pretend by using drugs and alcohol to, to make myself feel more social. I had to pretend like I was an extrovert. I had to pretend like I was a social person and like I enjoyed interacting with other people because it's what I thought I had to do to fit in. Um, And I carried that with me when I joined the military as well. Uh, I joined the military as a combat engineer when I was 19 years old. Um, And I was one of very few females in that trade. It's a very male-dominant occupation. Uh, And I felt like, because I was one of very few females, I felt like I had to really try a lot harder. I had to be perfect in everything that I did. I had to really, really overachieve in order to stand out and prove that I belonged there, prove that a woman could do anything a man could do. Um, So I just pushed myself as hard as I possibly could. Um, I've been in the military now for 10 years, uh, and it's it's been an incredible experience, but it's been an uncomfortable one being an introvert and trying to push myself through that. I left the military for a brief time, uh, went uh, part-time as a reservist, and went back to school uh, in order to study fitness and health. Uh, I became a yoga teacher, became a life coach. Um, I, I've since uh, realized that my calling in life was to empower other women who have been through similar things as myself. Um, and most recently, 
um, I really uh, decided that motivational speaking and uh, empowering other women is, is my calling. So I'm kind of leaning more towards that than the military thing these days. So I'm trying to uh, taper off my time in the military. I think that's starting to come to an end and I'm starting to figure out what that looks like transitioning from one to the other and not being full-time in the military anymore, but being full-time in coaching and speaking eventually. Wow, Lex, well, you certainly have a a beautiful and powerful story to share. And I think a lot of women will um, resonate with um, parts, if not the whole story from, like you said, um, uh, drug and alcohol addiction and the recovery process to that, but also being a woman in a a um, masculine-driven industry and how to cope. But also, like you said, as an introvert as well. So not only were you a female in a masculine um, environment, you are also an introvert and trying to find your voice and find your place in that. So how did you first realize that you were, you had perfectionist tendencies and when did you start to realize that that was a hindrance? Because I know from my own experience, I always, I used to rather, um, constantly um, use that as like a oh yes, like I'm totally perfectionist, like make fun, like light, and actually kind of secretly be proud of it because for a while it got me where I was and I was proud of where I was. So I would love to hear your riff on that and, and your, through your own experience. Oh, so I think I always had perfectionist tendencies. Um, I was always a very driven uh, type of person and joining the military just amplified that because there's such a high expectation for you to succeed um, and to give it your best effort and always be striving to be better. Um, and because it was a female in a, in a combat trade, I felt like I had to work 10 times as hard as everybody else to prove myself. Um, so I think it really uh, took over my life when I joined the military, uh, especially when I did my trade training as a combat engineer. Um, it's a four and a half month long course where you live in um, an army barracks and that becomes your entire life. So you're given a structure and a routine to follow every day and you're given tasks to complete and you're uh, given all of these things that you have to do in a day and you expect to do them extremely well. And if you don't do them extremely well, then the entire group as a whole will suffer because of it. So it really amplified that. It really made me lean into that perfectionism side of myself because I thought, well, if I can just do this really well, then I can prove that I belong here. And uh, it helped me a lot in my career, it really did. The area of my life that it didn't help me was in my relationships. Mm -hmm. Because then I took that that high standard, that perfectionism that I gave to my job, and I tried to translate that into my personal life. And um, in my first marriage, I expected my husband to meet this unachievable standard, and when he didn't meet it, I would pick fights with him. And Um, I did wear that perfectionism as a badge of honor. I used to joke about it in job interviews and be like, oh, yeah, um, I'd say my biggest weakness is I'm a perfectionist because sometimes it can get in the way of getting the job done right. And I'd go into an interview with that strategy, but not thinking about how much of an effect that was having on my life Um, and my need for everything to be perfect all the time. Um, I actually eventually ended up getting diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder because I was just so uh, wrapped up in everything having to be perfect 
that it, it turned into mental illness. And um, even just the smallest things would set me off. If somebody in the house put the toilet paper roll on backwards, I would lose my mind. It was the end of the world. And uh, it took me a very, very long time to work through that, uh, especially being in the military, because I had to keep part of that perfectionist side of myself alive to do well in my job, but I had to try and let it go enough in my personal life that it wasn't going to consume me. Um, and it did have a very, very big effect uh, in my first marriage. Um, we fell apart for other reasons, but it definitely didn't do us any good. Mm, you raised so many good points there. Um, one from um, how perfectionism can play out, whether that's internalized perfection where you're expecting a lot of yourself or external perfection where you're expecting a lot of others, specifically loved ones, and, and how that can re- impact our relationships. Um, I'm also curious to know, because I I have such empathy for for your, your, um, your past um, going through um, uh, drug and alcohol addiction and then also uh, battling, um, OCD and perfectionism. So were, did those go hand in hand or did one come and then the other kind of, um, come in after? How did that work? Um, I would say that addiction came first. Uh, I was 12 years old the first time I discovered drugs and alcohol. Uh, and while it didn't consume my life right from the get go, it definitely started to spiral out of control in my later teens. Um, and then, Again, everything got amplified when I joined the military because there is a fair bit of drinking culture in the military. Um, It actually took me a very long time um, to realize that I had a problem with alcohol um, because we just, we would drink all the time. You know, it was a part of army lifestyle. You drink with the boys. And uh, I didn't realize that most people didn't drink that much and most people didn't drink to that extent when they did. You know, blackout drinking is not common practice among most people, but when you're in a certain society where that's the norm, you don't realize that you have a problem. Um, And I actually didn't uh, seek help for my addiction until a few months ago. Uh, As of today, I'm 111 days clean and sober. Uh, It's very new to me. Oh, congratulations. Um, Thank you. It's amazing. Thank you. It's incredible. I, I feel like a brand new person. I really do. It's, it's been absolutely an incredible part of my journey. Um, but because I was in active addiction for all that time and I was in denial about it, uh, it definitely exacerbated my other mental illness. Um, the I was able to work through um, the obsessive compulsive disorder. I, I eventually uh, managed to get a handle on that. Um, but I also struggled with anxiety, uh, especially social anxiety, depression. Um, I've just gone through this roller coaster of uh, emotional things over the years. A part of that stems from uh, childhood trauma. Uh, I was in an abusive um, home when I was growing up. My stepdad was abusive. My mom was my rock, thankfully. I had her all through my life. She's been a a huge support. Um, But childhood trauma coupled with the bullying, coupled with addiction, it just one thing after another kind of spiraled. And I think that my perfectionism was one of my shields as I was going through all of that, because I thought, well, if I can make it look on the outside like I have it all together, then nobody needs to know what's going on on the inside. I can pretend, I can wear these masks, I can put on a fake smile and go to work every day and do my job, and you know, I can do that and then fall apart in private, and nobody has to know that I'm struggling. Nobody has to know that I don't have it all together. 
I used my perfectionism to, to prove to the world that I was doing okay, even though on the inside I definitely was not. Mm. I, I just got goosebumps listening to your, your story right there. <laughs> um, I, I very much resonate with um, growing up in a very chaotic home while my mom, like you said, was my greatest rock and I had wonderful siblings. Um, unfortunately, my father was um, battling PTSD as a, a Vietnam vet and um, all sorts of psychological um, things that he was dealing with himself. So. Um, yeah, that's where my um, perfectionism, I think, was a way for me to control um, how I um, was perceived externally um, to my little community, um, my little farm community growing up and um, anyone else so that it seemed like it wasn't as chaotic as it was. Um, so I very much resonate with your story there. Um, I'm, I want to dive in deeper uh, um, in the topic of um, perfectionism as well. And and also because I think um, there's a term overachievers and overachieving mm-hmm. and perfectionism. So I'd love to know your take on the difference between them and, and how they play into each other. So I find, for, for myself, I find that the, the biggest difference between perfectionism and overachieving is tends to be kind of like the comparison of quality versus quantity. So as a perfectionist, you want to put the best effort into absolutely everything you can. You want to make it perfect. You want to give it your all. You want that to be the top quality you could possibly pull out of anything. You just absolutely want that best result possible. Um, and then in terms of what we're achieving, I find it's more of a quantity thing. So you look at how many things I've done. Look at how much I've accomplished. It doesn't always necessarily mean look at how well I did at accomplishing all of these things. It's just a, how many things can I check off my bucket list or my to-do list and and say, yeah, I did that, I did that, I did that. Um, And we tend to think that if we overachieve, then we have it all together because look at all the things that I managed to achieve in this year, but not necessarily how well that we did in any of them or how much of our actual... Uh, time and energy went into them and whether or not it was a quality accomplishment Um, and I definitely think you can be one or the other or a vicious combination of both and when it's a vicious combination of both it can definitely take over your life and it can really um, get you stuck in your own head a lot of the time and stuck in that anxiety um, and just constantly feel like you're not enough because you want to do really well and be perfect in everything that you do, but you also feel like you have to do all of these things in order to be enough, and you cannot physically find the time or the energy to do both of those things well. So you slowly start to implode because you don't have enough time or energy in the day to do the things, and you just end up stuck in procrastination and anxiety and self-destructive behaviors. And I think that's where my addiction really came in is when I got to that point where I felt like I'm not perfect in this moment I can't feel this I don't want to feel this I would numb with drugs and alcohol and I would think okay well if I can't do it perfectly then I'm just not going to do it at all and I'm just going to go and binge drink for three days and forget that this is even the problem in my life oh you raised so many good points there um one being um the when it comes to overachieving and perfectionism, um, over t- 
cheating especially, um, there seems to have some sort of root of I'm not worthy or only equating worth to achievements. And like you were saying, of course, some achievements can be wonderful and really something you love to do. And it really is something that is aligned with your values. But often we're not doing the deep work to really figure out what our values are and what our purpose and our um, our interests are that way in a very fundamental way. And instead, we just chase all the all the things we can do off that tick list. And when we feel very empty afterwards, we're kind of left chasing that next high of that next item on the to do list rather than wondering why we do feel a little empty. Um, and so we we kind of ch- keep on chasing because that's all we need. And that's all we know because that um, sitting in silence and wondering why it feels empty is so much scarier. I definitely agree with everything that you said there. And and that feeling of being empty is such a big part of it. And it's usually uh, those would be the times when I would fall harder into my addiction. Because for me, my addiction was always, how do I make these feelings stop? Whether it was, I feel really, 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 really good and I'm an introvert and an empath and all of these these extroverted things around me, I I need to bring that down. Maybe I felt too high and I was picking up on too much around me, too much energy, too many stimuli, and I just needed to bring that feeling down. So use alcohol because it was so depressant. Um, Or it would be, I feel really, really, really low and I don't like this feeling of being empty and like I'm not enough and all of these feelings would come back and be like I just need to not I need to not feel this right now I need this feeling to go away and that would be when I would turn to drugs and alcohol to get through those feelings Mm. and that that coping mechanism is so um common as well we all do that either um um, numb or distract. For me, I was always distracting myself, um, like a little squirrel chasing one nut from another. Um, <laughs> sometimes it was fun. Sometimes it was sheer exhausting um, and overwhelming because of it. But um, yeah, sometimes it was like shopping, going, traveling, um, doing something to stop my or steer away from my focus um, from the thing I really needed to to address. Um, so I, I very much recognize that as a coping mechanism for, um, yeah, not achieving, uh, not getting to the point where like you're, you feel like you're achieving or um, even with perfectionism, um, because there might be something that you want to achieve. But like you said, because it's not, you can't do it to the, up to the standard that you have in your mind, you then say, I can't do it, I'm gonna stop, and then I'm gonna procrastinate that. But the thing is, with the evil cycle of perfectionism is that even though you've, you've said to yourself that you're gonna stop and procrastinate, you beat yourself up the whole time internally for not achieving it. Absolutely, and I think that it's any coping mechanism too. I mean, it wasn't all, even always drugs and alcohol for me, even if I went through periods of time where I was sober, um, I would numb by binge watching Netflix or I would binge on junk food. I would binge something to distract me from that feeling and distract me from the things that I was supposed to be doing and try to distract myself from guilt. I remember a time period in college where I didn't have a day where there wasn't ice cream in the house because I just had to have it all the time 
when my school workload was so stressful that I didn't want to think about it. So coming home from eight hours of classes when I should have been working on assignments, I would sit down in front of the TV and I would spend the next eight hours of my day eating ice cream, probably not even dinner, and watching a TV show for eight hours. So it was just this, because I didn't think I could do it perfectly, I just didn't do it at all. And I found whatever way I could to numb those emotions and try and force that thinking out of my head, I would binge on something else to distract me from that feeling. Mm. I, I so relate to that. Even like you said, the compulsive eating, it's, and, and we're not saying that um, any sort of action like that, like Netflix or, you know, enjoying too much chocolate or, you know, from time to time, it's, you know, if the intention um, behind that is, mm. is with like to nourish yourself or to look after yourself or to comfort yourself, that's wonderful. But what we're describing is that compulsion to, to hide and distract and to put the head in the sand um, and it's repetitive. It's, it's not addressing it, you know, treating yourself, comforting yourself and then saying, okay, let's find a solution. Absolutely. I'd love to, to riff a bit more on um, procrastination and perfectionism because I think um, what a lot of perfectionists don't realize, especially um, if they're in the stage where they're, they're riding high in their perfectionism, they um, have a good amount of energy and they're having a good amount of results with their perfectionism, so they're seeing it as a, dr- a driver for their, their success. And, you know, why wouldn't you? I've certainly had moments in my life where I was very proud of being a perfectionist. Um, But there gets to a point where you can only get so far with that behavior because it's it's not a sustainable behavior. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about that surprising other side of perfectionism and how it really starts to affect your mind and how can we maybe retrain our brain when we start to get those negative thoughts, those, that negative bully in our head? I think that that's really something that we forget to talk about with perfectionism. We only tend to look at the one side of it. Um, and the, the best thing that I can think of is the, um, the example of yin and yang. There's a light and the dark in everything. There is an up and a down in everything. There is two sides to every coin and it's all about the balance and when we try to be in that perfectionist mode all the time we're throwing that out of balance we're taking all of this energy and we're putting it into that one element of our life and not remembering that we only have so much time in a day we only have so much energy in our bodies generally as perfectionists there's a lot of times that we're not taking proper care of ourselves because we're so focused on that task and that goal at hand that we forget things like oh have I eaten today oh when was the last time I exercised like we get so hyper focused on that one goal and that one outcome that we forget to do the things that give us the energy to achieve um and I found I was very guilty of this I would have a day where I would wake up really early I would just crush my to-do list for an entire day and I'd be so proud of myself and I would, it would be like a high I would ride that high of achieving all day long and then I'd wake up the next day and I didn't move I didn't even want to get to bed and I'd berate myself for it I'd be like well look what you did yesterday why can't you just do that again not thinking okay well you know I expended this many hours of energy but what did I do to give myself the energy again and especially as an introvert like that is so important because we fill up our cups 
in solitude and stillness. And when you're being a perfectionist and you're trying to overachieve and you're expending all of this energy, if you don't take the time to fill your cup back up, you're going to burn out. And I did that to myself. I actually did that um, when I left the military for a little while. I tried working three jobs on top of going to school. And I just pushed and pushed and pushed my way through it. And then I crashed. And there was multiple days in a row where I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and I did the same thing when I became a personal trainer because I would expend so many hours in the day you know, teaching classes and training clients and being really extroverted and socializing and not thinking about the fact that as an introvert, eight hours of talking to people and being on my A game is probably like 16 hours to an extrovert, like 16 hours to me compared to eight hours for an extrovert. Like it was probably double the amount of a work day for me is what it felt like. At least by the time I got home, I was so drained. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't think, I couldn't focus. Um, And since getting into recovery, I've had to realize that I need that in my life. Uh, And I've actually had to set boundaries with people and say, okay, no, this is how many hours in a day I can spend giving energy to other people. And then these are the hours in a day that I need to spend bringing that energy back into myself. And I think a big part of it is um, you have to break the, uh, the stigma that you always have to be giving, that you always have to be serving. Because as introverts, we can't. We physically do not have it in us to give all the time. We need to have that quiet time. We need to have that stillness to be able to reconnect with ourselves, to be able to recharge ourselves. Um, And I think that remembering to tell yourself that that is okay is really key. We cannot spend the other hours where we should be recharging and taking care of ourselves and filling our cup back up, berating ourselves for not achieving. We have to break that cycle. We have to stop listening to the media saying that you should be achieving, you should be this. And um, I I recently uh, spoke with somebody about this because there have been so many things popping up on social media during this pandemic saying, um, you know, have all this extra free time now, make sure you learn a new language or you, you know, get a new hobby, do this, do that. Like maybe this is the universe's way of telling us to slow down, to take care of ourselves, to embrace a little bit of the stillness that we don't actually put into our lives the rest of the time because we're so used to go, 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 go. And us introverts cannot be go, 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 go all the time. We need time to recuperate. And it's a matter of things like what you're doing with this podcast, like spreading the word and reminding introverts it's okay to not be doing something. I mean, sometimes I start my day with an hour of being awake in bed and not doing anything. I cuddle my dogs and my cats. I, I mean, hopefully I've, I've left long enough to get coffee because that's a really key part of starting my day, but I will sometimes go get my coffee and I'll climb back into bed. And I won't let anybody make me feel guilty about that because I need time to just cuddle with my animals, read a book, um, just sit there sometimes in silence and do nothing because that's what charges me. That's what energizes and fuels me. It's so important. It took me a long time to learn that I could do that and that that was my decision and that was okay. Mm. Nobody can tell me that that's not okay 
and that that's not enough. Oh, you said so many goodness, so much goodness right there. And I'm, I'm literally like fist pumping you the whole time going, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Because, oh my goodness. Yes. That's, that's my whole, um, message because yes I like you I learned the hard way it's um society just thinks that we're at one size fits all with everything and that includes our energy and a lot of the western world is geared toward um, production production equals success production equals um your value as society you're literally paid often by the amount of hours that you work so it's no surprise that we're all um kind of trained to to look at what we produce as value as our worth and then that's we must constantly be in production but what we forget to realize because we're not valued for the other side is that production um it has like a cycle just like how nature has a cycle and the seasons have a cycle and you can't have production without rest and especially like you said i mean extroverts and introverts but introverts especially we probably notice it a lot more because we are highly simulated. So whereas an introvert or an extrovert can go into a room, work the room, um, an introvert can do something similar in her own way, maybe working on like one or two people at a time rather than a whole gaggle in group. Um, but we actually process information and ideas and stimulation at a higher frequency. So we're, we're like turbocharging um, the... So by the time that we've like maybe spent an hour, it feels like, like you said, a few hours. It feels like a, like a whole evening, whereas the extrovert's just getting started and just getting warmed up. Um, so we really need to be so mindful about that rest stage because if we're ambitious introverts, we have goals and ideas and a to-do list and we have dreams that we want to strive for, but we can't get anywhere near that dream if we don't actually, um, on a very regular basis, as in daily, <laughs> address that rest side um, of the, the production cycle. So rest, then production, rest, then production, and over and over. Because like you, sometimes I'll just wake up in the morning, I'll stare up at the sky and just kind of like look and think for like, I don't know, just like a few minutes or sometimes 15 minutes. And I'm just away with my own ideas and just thinking and there's no expectations but it it recharges me and wakes me up for the morning and then I have my cup of coffee and then maybe read a book and I'm ready to face the morning but that rest is such a key um, part of us nurturing ourselves being a bit more self-compassionate and also giving us space so we're not actually just doing the actions because we're told or we think we have to do them. I completely agree with that. And I love that you said it in the, the way of um, the seasons changing because we have seasons in our life too. I mean, we have to remember that, you know, the, the earth has seasons, the moon has phases, like everything in life is cyclical. We cannot expect, be expected to always be producing, always be on, always be energized. Nothing in nature does that ever and we are a part of nature so we need to remember to treat ourselves the same way Mm. we need to remember that we have to go through those phases and that it's okay to do that and uh, I think sometimes it's a matter of expressing that to extroverts even just setting healthy boundaries with them 
my best friend is an extrovert and uh, he's a part of uh, my recovery because uh, he's also an addict and uh, the other day we um, we've been hosting um, zoom meetings because all of our uh, Narcotics Anonymous meetings in the area have been shut down because of COVID-19. So we've been taking turns hosting meetings. And I attended two on Saturday that he hosted, and I hosted two on Sunday. And by the end of the day, I just looked at him, and I was like, I need to go to bed. It's like, it's 9 o'clock at night. I was like, I know. I need to go to bed. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I just did four meetings in two days, and I chaired two of them. I was in charge of it. I had to be alert and on my A game. He's like, yeah, but it was really good. And he's all like pumped up because he's an extrovert and he's just pulled all this energy. I'm like, yeah, you have all my energy right now. I'm going to go and write and then go to bed to get some of back because we don't work the same way. <laughs> and I sometimes have to remind him of that when we hang out. I'm like, I just, I cannot manage things the same way that you do because you're always go 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 with the energy because you're an extrovert and you feed off of social social situations i'm not that person i need to now go home cuddle my dogs and climb into bed at 9 30 at night (laughs) (laughs) that's such a good point god bless our extroverts in our life um i love them for the energy that they bring and their different um strengths and values but yes same it's so important to hold those boundaries and and to really just explain them because um they won't understand or they won't think about um what you'll be experiencing because they'll just assume that it's normal for them so it's it must be kind of something that everyone else has um so that simple explanation and that reminder as well as needed is so important i think that like you're saying with our energy and and also as recovering perfectionists Um, I think that, like you said, um, with the added kind of the illusion that we have more space and time to, to, to do something on our to-do list, to do the things that we didn't think we had time for, maybe hit some of those goals out that we had or those resolutions. But what we forget to realize is that we are going through this um, extremely new, extremely extraordinary time in our lives that's introducing a lot of stress and grief into the global collective and um, at our own homes and with our own families. And we don't stop to think about that impact on ourselves. So I'd love to riff about, maybe even learn about how this time is impacting you as a recovering perfectionist and maybe some tips you have for other women who are also feeling that strain and almost that FOMO for their to-do list right now. Oh, I think this is such uh, an interesting time, um, especially for recovering perfectionists, absolutely. Um, I, haven't, I haven't had as hard of a time with it as I was expecting to but I think for me, it's because I'm not having to work right now. Um, so I'm, I work in recruiting with the military and because we're not allowed to uh, see applicants and test applicants and conduct interviews, we're just on hold. There's absolutely nothing that we can do. Um, so we've been instructed to uh, check our emails and clean our office space for three hours a week because there's absolutely nothing else that we can do um, unless the military gets called out to assist with what's going on. Um, so it's such a strange time and I'm actually kind of enjoying the opportunity to not have to do 
all of the things all of the time. Um, part of that is because I'm in early recovery for addiction right now. Um, I didn't realize, uh, I don't think, how much of my energy that was going to take, especially as an introvert, uh, because when I attend meetings, they're fantastic, and I get a lot out of them, but then I need the time afterwards to recuperate. Um, and when I first got into recovery, uh, I was working full-time, and I live in Brockville and drive to Ottawa, so I was doing two and a half hours a day of commuting on top of that, and then trying to keep the rest of my life together. So it's actually come as a bit of a break to me, um, but also brings its own strange stressors. I mean, you can't just waltz into a grocery store to pick up the things you need anymore. You have to remember to plan. You have to remember ahead of time that you need and put in an order. Um, and it's, uh, I find with how much is available to us online, it can almost be dangerous, especially as perfectionists. Because you feel like you have to keep up on everything. You have to always be in the know. And for me personally, I've actually completely stopped watching the news. And I don't know if that makes me sound irresponsible or what. And I'll probably get razzed like crazy about that from the guys at work. But I can't do it. As an introvert and as an empath, it's just not something that I can handle. And I've decided that I'm okay with that. And I think that the biggest takeaway has been realizing what my non-negotiables are, what I need in this time, and making myself stick to that. And as a perfectionist, when I when I was in perfectionism and I was really striving all the time and I was overachieving, my non-negotiables list was a mile long. It had some of the most ridiculous things on it. It was like, oh, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to eat breakfast, I'm going to go for a workout, I'm going to do this. And you know, I had probably 18 hours worth of stuff programmed into, I don't know, 12 hours of a day thinking I could get it all done. Whereas now, uh, I'm being gentler with myself and I think that that's very key in this time is realizing that we don't have to do it all. We don't have to have this social media worthy, picture perfect lifestyle. We can fall apart a little bit right now if we have to. I mean, the energy out in the world right now because of how stressed out people are, how fearful people are. I mean, I'm completely blessed that I live in Canada and it hasn't hit us as hard as it has in some other countries. And I know some parts of the world are under complete lockdown. I I can still drive down the road and sit at the water if I want to. I can leave my house if I want to just sit in my car and, and take in some nature. I have that option still. Some people don't. Some people have been confined to their houses. So I think that the biggest thing is being okay with slowing down because we are being forced to slow down right now. And we always complain that we don't have enough time, that we can't get enough done. And right now we have time to focus on ourselves for the first time. When we're forced into isolation, we have to be with ourselves. And it's a beautiful time to figure out what makes us happy, what brings us joy and what we need. And I know for myself that I actually made a little bit of a list and I'm sticking to a routine because I know that I need that for uh, my recovery from addiction. I know I need that just for my general mental health and wellness. And I know I need that so that I don't slip back into my perfectionist and uh, overachieving ways. So my tiny little list is 
so small, it, it actually agitates my, my perfectionist side, <laughs> but I love it. I love that about it. So I get up every day and I make my bed. That's my number one. That's how I know I've started my days. I make my bed. I have a coffee. I move my body. And sometimes that's literally like 10 air squats. Sometimes it's yoga. Sometimes it's a full-blown CrossFit workout in my living room. It doesn't matter what it is, but I move my body every day because I know that I need that. And I write. I'm a writer. I love to express myself and to process my thoughts and emotions through writing. So I write every day. And I reach out to somebody else who's in recovery. And that's it. If that is all that I achieve in the day, I'm happy. I had a good day. And sometimes it's hard enough just to get through that short little list. Other days I crush that list first thing in the morning and I have a bunch of other things I get done. But now I know enough about myself and my energy that I can be okay with those days where it's only my list of non-negotiables. And then I can be proud of the days where I get more. But I'm proud of both. It's not one or the other anymore. It's not, I'm a failure because all I did was make my bed, have some coffee, and talk to a friend. I'm proud of those days still because I woke up sober. I woke up filled with joy because I'm surrounded by things that I love. I've created a beautiful space for myself in my room so that I feel comfortable where I am. And it doesn't have to always be about achieving things for me anymore I can be content with just waking up in my room with the sun shining and my dogs in there I'm quite content with that oh I love that it's so beautiful and I love how you gave such a good um, recommendation for people that to create that list of non-negotiables and that's not a, a, a page that's front and back and so severe it's a more of a um a short small simple list that's breathable and it's not prescriptive so I love how you said move so that could be whatever you're feeling in that moment and it allows you to check in with how you are feeling because um, I've done something um, similar with my to-do list so instead of asking what I want to do I ask how do I want to feel and um, for right now I want to connect and I want to feel love and so that's Either internally, I want to love myself, and and externally, love others, um, and then connect with myself internally, and then connect with others. So, connection could be moving my body, um, you know, making, you know, getting moving from my head, where I spend a lot of my time as an introvert with all the ideas, but sometimes the anxiety, and moving out into my body and really allowing myself to release that tension and that energy. Um, so it's been a, a, a more graceful and permissive and kinder way for me to um, feel like I'm honoring myself and my needs in that moment. But also, like I said, like you said, kind of doing something to contribute. That's beautiful. The feeling rather than doing, I think, is really, really important, especially in a time like this, because we can get wrapped up in all of the things going around, uh, going on around us and forget to check in with ourselves, forget to put our phones down for a couple of minutes and go, how am I feeling? Am I feeling the way I want to feel? How do I want to feel? I think that has so much power, especially for those of us who are, I mean, that combination, deadly combination of perfectionist and introvert, you, you're right, you're always in your head. And the longer you stay in your head and not in your body and in the present moment, the higher a chance of yourself being pulled into that anxiety and 
just spiraling out of control. So I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And with your, your story, um, obviously with perfectionism, overcoming perfectionism and um, overachieving and working through that, you have a, a you, you people can see how resilient you are um, and how you've grown in resiliency. Um, but you also work with um, shame. And I think when we hear that, we kind of go, Ugh. <laughs> we try to like, you know, like, it's a dirty sock and we want to throw it across the room and just like, no. <laughs> um, but I think that's the thing about shame, isn't it? It's like, I would love your, your take on how shame impacts perfectionism and overachieving and how when we, we kind of shine the light on shame, what, what opportunities it provided. Oh, shame. <laughs> Everybody's favorite topic of conversation. <laughs> it's gotten sexy, um, ladies. <laughs> I, it's funny, actually. I'm, I'm obsessed with uh, Brene Brown and all of the work that she's done around shame. I mean, I read uh, The Gifts of Imperfection. Um, I've read it twice now, actually, and I'm going to read it again this year. Uh, because it just it felt like she was writing it to... Like I hit so many things and that hit home for me and I had a light bulb moment this time last year when I was doing some brainstorming about my coaching business and I'm like oh crap I think I need to work with shame <laughs> and it's such an unpopular topic because nobody wants to look at it it's one of those things where you just like it's that elephant in the room where you just kind of want to like put a little, little sheet over top and pretend it's not there and not actually interact with it but um I think it's important that we talk about it and that we look at the things that are attached to it because um, there's so much good that can come from working through the shame in your life. Uh, And for myself, a lot of that looked like the shame that I held uh, towards myself or that I falsely thought other people held towards, um, and especially during the years of my active addiction. The things that I did when I was in active addiction aren't the person that I am now. And I know that. And logically, I know that. But it's a matter of working through that emotion of, um, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm unlovable. And and that's the biggest thing with shame is it's not just that, uh, that feeling of guilt that we have when we, we have a behavior that we act out that we deem as wrong. It's that actual belief, that self, um, essentially self-loathing, that um, that feeling that we are not enough, that we are shameful. And working through that can be so difficult. Um, and it takes so much time and so much effort, but the reward on the other side of it is so incredible. And... Um, a friend of mine actually helped me develop a really incredible practice for this. Um, and I use it actually almost every day because I still have those days where shame wants to creep in and it wants to take over and you get that nasty combination of, you know, my addiction plus my recovering from perfectionism plus mental, uh, mental health issues, just that you know, little chaotic recipe for shame (laughs) and it can take over and then all of a sudden I'm stuck in this shame spiral and it's the I am unworthy I am not enough I am this I am that and um, I had to to reshape that and I basically 
what I do now is I do the I am, but I flip it around. So anything that I feel like I'm feeling I am, I start calling it I am not, and then I replace it with something else. So for example, I am not worthy, and then it becomes I am worthy, or I am enough, I am lovable. So anything that I think in shame, I try to take that and I try to flip that around and retrain my brain to think differently about it. So, you know, I'm a past relationship behavior that I'm not proud of. Sometimes it'll pop up and be like, I am a cheater. And I, I get sucked into that shame spiral. So now it's something as simple as when I have that thought pop into my head, stopping, pausing, sitting with that feeling and going, okay, I am not a cheater. Since coming into active recovery, I've never been in a relationship and cheated on a spouse. So that I am a cheater can now become I am not a cheater. And it can change it to, you know, I am loyal. I am faithful. I am, insert positive word, and shift it. And at first it seems really dumb. It seems like such a small, insignificant thing. But the more you do it, the more frequently, the more powerful it becomes. Because you're retraining your brain to think, I am this. Just by stopping that initial self-loathing, self-destructive thought in its tracks and then reforming it and training your brain on a different pathway. And I found that to be one of the most powerful things for me so far. That's such a beautiful tip. And thank you so much for sharing that because, like you said, the power of our words um, and actually um, addressing the things that we tell ourselves in our head that we often don't put out on paper or um, share um, outside of our body so we don't announce it and when you start to address like you said something that shame is really good at it's hide it's like casting everything in darkness so you can't see any connections you can't see any patterns and you can't see the light and when you start to shine light on that shame you then really see that it's actually just a hurt um little child um that has assumed a lot of things based on past experiences and it's really he or she is really really afraid and with your work there what you're doing is like retraining and acknowledging you're identifying what the cause the big bad scary boogeyman under the the um, bed was really just a, a teddy bear <laughs> so you take that teddy bear out and you're like oh, okay okay you're not as scary as I thought as I imagined <laughs> and you're identifying and you're reinforcing the new thought and the new pattern and it takes a lot of work and there's always that other layer that you have to get go under so it's just a continuous practice but the more self-aware you become the, the less that shame has control over you that's very, very accurate because self-awareness is something that as a whole in this particular day and age, we don't have a lot of it. We have so many external sources coming at us from all different sides that it's not very often that we do sit in stillness and actually look within ourselves because it's scary. Stopping and, you know, quieting your mind and looking at yourself and your behaviors and your thoughts, that can be some pretty terrifying stuff. It is a thousand times easier to just scroll social media and look at someone else's life and not have to look at our own. So the awareness is so key if we want to change our behaviors, because if we don't look at what it is in our lives that we don't want anymore, 
we can't make room for the things we do. And that is one of the biggest pieces with shame is you have to look at where you were, how far you've come, and how far you want to go and have the awareness of this is how I feel, but this is how I want to feel. What do I need to do to get there? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that you can, when you're, um, sometimes you don't realize that you have shame about a certain topic until you start to feel something about it, right? So there's might be something that feels triggering when somebody brings up a certain topic, whether that be finances or relationships, right? And you start to, for me, what happens is you start to feel a little resistance and maybe anger and you want to push away immediately and close that box because nope, that's Pandora's box and I'm not opening it up (laughs) because everything will eat me. (laughs) But that's actually an invitation to then get curious that like there's a resistance there for a reason and what is what is that trying to teach me and to tell me and invite me in to really understand that that what's underneath that resistance which is probably fear 100 percent. and if you can have the courage and the resilience and the bravery to look at that when it does come up that is life-changing opportunities that is the biggest opportunities for personal growth and for moving past whatever obstacle you're facing like it's so powerful when you can recognize that and then you can have the courage to step up and say okay i'm here i'm gonna do the work i'm gonna look at the hard stuff Mm, absolutely lex i absolutely love your story and i love your message and i love the work that you're you're doing in the world and supporting other women who've been um to where you were um for any other ambitious introvert who really wants to connect with you wants to work with you where, um, how can they work with you and where can they find you? Uh, so I probably spend most of my connection time over on Instagram. I love it. I'm a very visual person. Um, most of the content that I create is for Instagram. So um, I love that community. Uh, you can find me at Lex with two X's dot Ellens. It's E-L-L-I-N-S uh, over on Instagram. Um, You can find me on Facebook, same spelling of the name. I have a group for women called Empowered Women Rising, um, and it's brand new. Just started that uh, because I felt like we needed a space during this pandemic where women could feel supported and like we could come together and lift each other up and empower one another to get through this as a whole rather than trying to go it alone. So that's brand new, Empowered Women Rising over on Facebook. Um, And working with me, um, I actually have uh, an offer for your audience. um, And they can reach out to me through Instagram. I find that's the best way to communicate, just through the DMs over there. So if anybody feels called to work with me after our chat today, feel free to reach out through Instagram and uh, we'll get you set up. Oh, that's amazing. I love all um, all that you provide and, and provide service to the women. Um, I'm curious about what the alignment, 90-minute um, alignment um, process entails. Would you be able to talk me through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it actually starts off with um, a little bit of a deep dive questionnaire. Uh, so whenever I work with a coaching client, uh, I send them a pre-coaching questionnaire. And in it, I have questions where... Uh, we start to dive into the nitty-gritty right away. Um, No surface level, no holding back, just pure, raw honesty right from the get-go because it's only 90 minutes. 
and it's to focus on one key piece of your life that you're dying to work on and um, I find that by doing this coaching questionnaire um, it really pulls out a lot of things for people that we can focus on and it might even pull out things they didn't even know that they wanted to focus on Uh, so it starts out with the questionnaire then you book uh, that 90 minute session and it's completely dynamic there's honestly not a whole lot of structure to it because it can be so fluid with how it works um, and and what comes up within that I kind of like this conversation today it just can go in so many different directions I try not to put too much structure onto that that 90 minutes Um, but it's basically the purpose of it is to get you into alignment with who you are at your core and who you want to become So it's just a 90-minute deep dive to say, you know, what are my values? What are my goals? What is my purpose? What do I need to implement in my life right now that I can really change my life with? Like, what's the number one thing that I want to work towards and how do I get there? And we establish a plan over the course of the 90 minutes. And then a part of that is actually... Uh, two weeks worth of email access to me afterwards so that you have that accountability that that uh, opportunity to check in kind of show your progress ask any questions that you have and have that support for another two weeks after that coaching call oh that sounds like and that sounds so amazing lex um and i love how um after you know our listeners are learning about um, perfectionism and overachieving and how sometimes you can just have that to-do list with not with all those items of doing without the intention behind it and you're providing us um, support um, to allow them to really understand why they're doing things and doing things with intentionality. So thank you so much for that that gift to our listeners. Um, ladies, all of the ways that you can contact Lex will be um, in the show notes to this episode. So please um, uh, click down below and access that and reach out to her because um, she is this uh, shining ball of introverted light. And um, I know that she'll, she'll really um, hold your space and nourish you through your process. Lex, it's been absolute joy to have you and to, to talk all things um, perfectionism and overachieving and shame, all that sexiness. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully it gave you the boost you needed to start your week. If it did, it would be appreciated if you spent two minutes right now to give this podcast a review on iTunes and then share the episode with an introverted friend who needs to hear this message. Your review will make sure other ambitious introverts who are struggling to find their voice and focus find this show and can receive the love and support we hope you felt today. Thank you. And remember, your perceived introverted weaknesses are your powerhouse.